This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. First Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the, Lord, seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this, is, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing but never understanding, Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Hear the word of the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of John, and we'll be reading chapter 9, verse 35 to 41. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say these things, this, and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Please do be seated. Of course, of all our senses, human beings tend to trust our sight the most. I was having dinner recently with a friend who works as the manager of security capability for Sydney trains. And he said that the presence of CCTV has had a marked effect on clear-up rates for crimes and other incidences, although in an unexpected way. This is because, he says, criminals will contest almost any other sort of evidence, including DNA evidence. They'll say, someone's planted the DNA evidence on me. Eyewitnesses are lying. But if they're shown CCTV footage of themselves caught in the act, they will simply put their hand up and plead guilty. After all, seeing is believing, right? We implicitly trust the evidence of our own eyes as infallible. We move from the evidence of our senses and then we form our beliefs about the world. Or at least that's what we think we do. Because it's also true that things aren't always what they seem. We don't always see what we see. Let me tell you about the invisible gorilla test. Now, the invisible gorilla test was a study conducted in 1999 by two American experimental psychologists. Of course it is. They asked people to watch a short video of two groups of people passing a basketball around and to count the number of times that the basketball is being passed by one of the two teams. So you have to focus on the basketball being passed and count that. But in the middle of the video, a person in a full gorilla suit walks right through the middle of the people passing the basketball around and does this right at the camera and then walks right off. After watching the video, the subjects are taken aside and said, how many, how many times was the basketball uh, counted? How, how, many, how many times was it passed? And they say 15 or whatever it is. And then they said, did you notice anything unusual about the video? And here's the thing. About 50% of people do not even notice the gorilla. Even though the gorilla walked right before their eyes, they did not have the eyes to see him. What they were able to see was actually framed by what they had been told in the first place. Now, Jesus, and here's a sentence that's never been uttered in this church before, is like the invisible gorilla. Who is he? Where did he come from? He heals a man who was born blind but he does it on the Sabbath. He claims an intimate knowledge of God the Father. He's flesh and blood, and yet he speaks as if he's always existed. Could he be from God? Or is he of the devil himself? It's a controversial and divisive question, as we've seen in John's, in John's Gospel. And as always, John asks the question of us, who do we think he is? Have we noticed the signs? Can we see the invisible gorilla? Or are we blind? So today we turn to the third part of the story of the healing of the man born blind. We've been looking at it over three sections from chapter 9 in John's Gospel. Uh, firstly, at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who was not, he didn't just have cataracts or acquired blindness, he was born blind. And he healed him, you might remember, by spitting putting mud and putting mud in his getting mud uh, out of the dirt and then putting the mud in the man's eyes. 
Secondly, as we saw last week, the Pharisees conducted an interrogation, first of the man, then of his family, his parents, and then of the man himself again. Who was it who opened his eyes? Where does he come from? All the man knows is that he can now see. Whoever healed him, he says, must be from God. For who has ever heard of someone healing the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were from God, he could, were not from God, he could do nothing, says the man. But what reaction does this get from the Pharisees? Well, they immediately threw him out of the synagogue. They'd already set this up as a test for the blind man. They'd said anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah is going to be put out of the synagogue. And the healed man's reaction makes them furious. And so they expel him. They cannot see what he now sees. In fact, they refuse to see it. And so we come to our third scene in the end of chapter 9 from verse 35. Jesus hears they've thrown the blind man out, the formerly blind man, and comes to find him. And he asks him a question. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the man has already said that Jesus is a prophet back in verse 17. He's already said to his cost that Jesus must be from God. He's not used the word Messiah, but he's come very close to it. And certainly that's what the Pharisees thought he was claiming, because that's why they threw him out of the synagogue. He said a lot of things about Jesus. He seems to believe a lot of things about him. But this is a different question, isn't it? Does he believe in Jesus, the Son of Man? What's the difference between believing in and believing about. To believe about something is a matter of agreeing to certain facts. I believe the sun is extremely hot and 147.86 million kilometers away. These are facts, I know, because I googled them, apart from the hot one, I knew that already. And they do have some relevance to me because I act on them. I put sunscreen on, I, I wear a hat, and so on. They're not entirely trivial facts, that I know about the sun, and I, I, there are things I believe about them, but I don't believe in the sun. Now, people have believed in the sun. The ancient Aztecs in Mexico did. They worshipped, now, here's Mexican names, are hard, Aztec names are hard to say, Huitzilopochtli. Huitzilopochtli, as the sun god, that was his name. Huitzilopochtli. And they showed they believed in him by sacrificing human victims to him, by plucking out their hearts and holding them up, still beating. Their whole lives were shaped by submitting to the power of Huitzilopochtli, the sun. They believed in him. Now, as you can see from this little dialogue, both Jesus and the man agree that believing in has to do with worship. When the man finally says, Lord, I believe. What does he do? He worships Jesus. I think we're to imagine him stooping down low to the ground in complete reverence and prayer and awe at what he now recognizes Jesus to be. He believes in him. He worships him. He is the Lord. He's gone far beyond knowing some things about Jesus. He now, needs to, he now wants to worship him. He's gone far beyond information to commitment. It's like that old line about the bacon and egg breakfast. The hen is definitely involved, but the pig is committed. He's committed here. 
So why does the man believe in Jesus? Well, we need to back the bus up a little bit. It has to do with that phrase, the Son of Man, that we heard in verse 35. That's the question that Jesus asked him. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, unsurprisingly, the once blind man needs to add a little bit of information here. The phrase, the Son of Man, can just mean what it means, a human being, an ordinary person. And no one disputes that Jesus is a man. No one disputes it. Even his enemies agree that is a fact about Jesus that no one disputes. In fact, his enemies insist that that's all he is, flesh and blood, a human being. But Jesus means something more here. Remember, the whole debate has been about Jesus' origins. Where does he come from? Does he come from the Father who's in heaven? Does he come from God? Has he got an eternal source or not? Is this human being more than a human being? No one disputes that Jesus is a man. But does he have an eternal and intimate knowledge of God? Does he speak with the authority of God? Now, the man had heard the promises in the old scriptures. He'd never read them for himself, of course. He'd only heard them with his ears about the coming of the one like a son of man, the Messiah. And now he can see if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But the man wants to hear it from Jesus himself. When he asks in verse 36, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. You can't help thinking that he already has a sneaking suspicion that it's Jesus. He just wants Jesus to come out, to, to, to let him know, to, to declare himself. When Jesus says then, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I don't think the man is shocked. Yes, he can see the invisible gorilla. This unsophisticated man can see what all the learned men of Israel apparently can't see, that Jesus is the Lord and he believes in him. He worships him. What about those who have a different verdict? There are those who most certainly do not think that Jesus is the Lord. They claim to have the truth about the Sabbath, about the law, and about Jesus. And as the scene continues, we realize that this is not just a private interview, but a very public discussion. There were Pharisees who were with Jesus, watching on. And so when Jesus makes this pronouncement in verse 39, he's got a bit of an audience. They're listening in. He says, For judgment I have come into the world, into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. The Father has entrusted all judgment to Jesus. He judges with right judgment. And the formerly blind man, he also judges with right judgment. It's sort of ambiguous, isn't it? Jesus, is, he's coming to the world in order to judge it, in order to show how divided it is. But also, he's exposing himself to judgment, the judgment of the Pharisees, the judgment of the blind man. And now we see the blind man actually judges rightly, like Jesus does. He judges with right judgment. He sees that Jesus is the Lord. He, of all people, makes the right call. What's the judgment of the Pharisees? Well, they think the blind man is a sinner from birth, right? And they doubt that the healing ever took place. They assume that it must be some kind of charlatanism, some kind of trick, and they completely brush off the man's testimony. 
But it turns out they are the ones who are really blind. They claim to have real knowledge and insight, but they can't see what's right in front of them. They miss the invisible gorilla. And this is a different kind of blindness. It isn't physical, of course. It's spiritual. These men can see quite clearly with their physical eyes, but they cannot see what they are looking at. They cannot perceive Jesus for who he really is. And as we see in this little interchange, this blindness is a kind of willful blindness. They will not open their eyes. As the old proverb says, you may have heard it, there is no one so blind as the one who will not see. Willful blindness is the worst kind of blindness, which is itself probably based on a number of Old Testament passages, uh, like the one we had from Isaiah, about having eyes and yet not being able to see. The blind man and the Pharisees, he now have switched places. At the beginning of the story, the man was blind, and the blindness that he had was attributed to his sin, or the sin of his parents. That's how the interchange began. Who sinned, this man or his parents? But now, Jesus, the light of the world, has opened his eyes, and he now confesses, Lord, I believe. He now sees spiritually as well as physically. What about the Pharisees? Well, it turns out they are not only truly spiritually blind, but they are the ones who are still in their sin. As Jesus says in verse 41, if if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So how are we meant to respond here? Who are you with? The blind man who sees, or the Pharisees who don't? Well, perhaps it's a little bit of an unfair question when I put it like that. Because we're too used to seeing the Pharisees as the black-hatted villains. We're We're too used to seeing them as the bad guys. We forget how educated and pious they were. Their establishment, they're completely like us. They're supposed to be the good people, the upstanding citizens, the patriots, the Rotarians, the members of the club, the church wardens. That's who they are. Peace be upon our church wardens. We forget to ask, you see, how are we potentially like these Pharisees? What was it that made it so hard for these people to see the truth about Jesus? Why do they want to get rid of him? The point about the invisible gorilla experiment is that you don't see the gorilla, not because you're blind, but because you're concentrating on something else. Because something else fills your concentration. It makes you blind to any hirsute apes that might cross your field of vision. So what distracted the Pharisees such that they didn't see Jesus for who he really was? They were convinced by their own power and their own ability to read the Bible according to their traditions. They said, a prophet cannot come from Galilee, surely. They said, you can't heal someone on the Sabbath, can you? That you can't do that and be from God. You can't speak in the way that Jesus spoke about the temple, surely. You cannot possibly comment on Abraham and Moses. That's not your privilege. They feared that if they let Jesus go on and Jesus attracted a following, then they'd lose everything. That the Romans would come in and take away their temple and take away their nation. They said as much a couple of chapters on in John's Gospel. 
Ultimately, says John, they were more afraid of the judgment of human beings than they are of God. After all, they stood to lose a great deal if Jesus gained a following. They would lose their control of the people and of the institutions who governed them. They demanded that Jesus would show them a sign. But when they did, they refused to believe it. Even when he rose from the dead, they just couldn't, or is it better said, they just wouldn't see. So here's the question for us. What makes it hard for us to see Jesus? To believe in him as Lord, as the blind man did, to the point where it cost him. Where is it that you are more afraid of the judgment of human beings than you are of the judgment of God? I think it's right to acknowledge that we may indeed identify as Christians and yet have something of the Pharisees in our hearts. Perhaps we are still proud of our intellect or uh, to flip it the other way, we are afraid of seeming stupid or, or dumb or simplistic or uneducated. We don't want to appear simple-minded. Or perhaps we're more confident of the world's judgment regarding right and wrong. We don't want to look like we're out of step with the times. We don't want to look as if we're out of step with the moral truths that are uh, of, of our community, the moral, the moral claims of our community. Perhaps we don't want to appear fanatical. Um, look, I'm a person who uses the word evangelical to describe himself. I have done for 30 or 40 years. It's a great word, the word evangelical. It means that you're a person of the gospel. It means that you're a biblical Christian, that you're seeking to follow Christ with all your heart, that you believe uh, that Christ died for you and that the Bible is the source of truth about God. That's all. But in this day and age, the, that word... I've heard it used as a swear word. Oh, oh, that's far too evangelical. Now, I don't care about the word evangelical at one point or another, but the taint is there, isn't it? Oh, if you own Christ, if you're a Christian, then you must be a kind of right-wing nut job. You must support a politics that I just don't like. You must be fanatical. Perhaps the claims that Jesus makes, not just to be a good man, but to be the one way to the Father, seem offensive and intolerant. But the blind man doesn't have any trouble seeing Jesus. And he believes in him. It costs him to believe because he's been kicked out by the Pharisees. And yet, the equation just seems simple to him. He is wonderfully undistracted by what people might think of him. And I think in this, he is a terrific model for us, undistracted of what, about what people might think of him. Jesus has opened his eyes. He must be from God. And so the man worships him. It's as simple as that. And that's the call for us. If Jesus is truly from God, then the only thing that makes sense is to worship him as Lord, whatever may come. If Jesus truly is from God, then as Jesus tells Martha at Lazarus' tomb, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Everything else is footnotes. However disapproving the world is, however hostile, however condescending, all of that fades away compared to the brilliance of the light of the world. So will you join 
with the man who once was blind and now can see and say to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.